Welcome to Two Pats and a Podcast, Episode 7. I'm your host, Patrick. And I'm the other Patrick. And this week, we're going to talk a little bit about money and travel. Let's start with what what we... I, I guess, actually, we'll, we'll cover maybe a couple of things. Uh, let's start with how we spend money when we're on a holiday. I'll start with kind of the way I used to do it and how I almost always do it now then exceptions i guess okay so if we go back oh more than more than 10 years ago then the norm was to get a bunch of money out in the currency of the country i was traveling to take that with me spend it and come home with i don't know probably some left because you always took more than you needed mhm and then at some point in the last 10 years, I shifted to using a credit card for most of my day-to-day purchases and leaving the, the cash for when the credit card wasn't an option and for the cash just going for an ATM once I arrived. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are exceptions still, but we'll, we'll come back to those. What do you do? So pretty much the same thing as you did. Um, I remember when we went to Canada, what I did was I took out a whole bunch of money and actually I took it out in US dollars and exchanged some of it for Canadian, I think when we were in Canada and then kind of did it that way. We would spend the Canadian dollars and then once we are near to running out, then I would just exchange some more U.S. currency. And But now, like you said, if I can use my credit card, the exchange rate is, I don't think, that detrimental. And even with the foreign exchange fee that they charge, I think the convenience and the security of not having loose cash around with you and having to cut that around is is far more um, beneficial to me. Yeah, the the exchange rate is usually pretty much the same as the one the bank would would give you, with with a percent or two tacked on for the interchange that Mastercard or Visa or whatever would charge. But yeah, I so my reasoning for transitioning from using a bunch of cash to carrying just use my regular card and a small amount of cash was realizing that pretty much everywhere takes credit cards and that by limiting the amount of cash I need to take with me I can avoid the cost not just charges that uh money convert uh money Conversion. Yeah, cost, but also the time of going to the places that do quote-unquote good rates. Yep. And the the convenient ones, like ones at airports, are always terrible. Yeah, well, you definitely pay for the convenience. And the good ones are in hard-to-find places that are open at inconvenient times. Yeah. And I know that there are there are travel cards that are available from banks and third parties that kind of let you lock in an exchange rate. Mm -hmm. Um, But I haven't yet traveled 
in a way that where the rates have changed so drastically that I've been materially harmed by not mm-hmm. using something like that. And I know there are credit cards available that don't charge international fees, but that's another card you have to have around. And mm-hmm. I, I like just using my regular card. I always carry two backups just in case. Mm-hmm. The, I guess the, the exception to using my regular credit card, the most immediate one for me is the U.S., where I've traveled there so much. I actually just have a U.S. bank account. Mm-hmm. And thus, I have a U.S. debit card, and I use that more when I'm there. And that's that's as much of anything so that it's easier for me to claim expenses from work on after the trip, because I can do one currency conversion. And what are the ATM charges like in the U.S.? So, because I'm using my U.S. card, it's a Bank of America card, that has no fees when I'm using a Bank of America ATM. Uh, because I have a Westpac account here in Australia, using a Bank of America ATM doesn't have any extra charges either. There's the Westpac currency conversion rate, which, as far as I can tell, is the same as if I'd gone into a branch anyway. Mm-hmm. But they don't charge the the $5 international fee, and then Bank of America doesn't charge their not-Bank-of-America card fee. So... I've found that when I am in America, I do I withdraw cash from my Westpac account in smaller amounts because there's no reason to get big amounts if I need to. Mm-hmm. It's only if I want to put the money straight back into the same machine to put it into my US bank account. Mm-hmm. The same thing when I'm traveling to New Zealand. I use a Westpac ATM because it has the same deal. When we were in London, I think it was RBS was the partner in France it was BP Paribas I think uh, so in, in all of those places I just withdrew the amount of money I needed yeah that definitely was more convenient for us especially since um, in the case where we went to London and then had a day trip to Paris having to deal with two currencies uh, was made a lot easier by doing it that way and despite the fact that I only got a small amount, I still came back with like, I don't know, 100 euro or something. Yeah, we found that Paris was, a, was kind of like the US and that lots of places required cash. So ended up getting more than I needed. Actually, that's an interesting point because we may want to do more, do more transactions use, using credit cards or using ATMs. But in some countries... Uh, for example, Japan, in the end, it was just better to withdraw a lot of money before we went to Japan because, ironically, for such an advanced country, it seemed like the credit card system was a bit restrictive. Yeah, it seems like there people use travel uh, travel prepaid cards, mm-hmm. uh, like the Suica card. Instead of a credit, uh, instead of a credit card for small transactions, mm-hmm. department stores do take credit cards, but most restaurants and things won't. Yeah, and and I think as a consequence of them being quite an advanced society in terms of technology, they did a network of ATMs probably before other people did. Mm-hmm. As a, and as a consequence, 
they work with their own cards, but not international cards most of the time. The exception being 7-Eleven and post office ones. Mm-hmm. But consequently, that meant that unlike most of the time when we're traveling, you can go easily to an ATM and worst case, pay a charge mm-hmm. and you'll get money. But lots of places in Japan, that's not possible. So we did take enough money to last our entire holiday mm-hmm. and came back with about a third of it because the risk of being without cash for food and whatnot was not worth it. So I guess the the second part of money and holidays is how we pay for things that we do. So that's going on, uh, like going on trips while we're there. Mm-hmm. Like do, I think my usual style is to get flights to where I'm going and get the accommodation sorted, mm-hmm. but then leave day-to-day activities until I'm there. So I tend to book a trip, like a, a Japan's just the easiest one that comes to mind, and that was going to see Mount Fuji. I booked that, well, we booked that once we got to Tokyo. Mm-hmm. I think that one was important to book when we got there because you have to think about things like weather and what other things you wanted to look at. And that Fuji trip in particular, since Mount Fuji is kind of far away from Tokyo, the majority of the time spent was traveling. And you only got an hour or half an hour in each of the little stops that we ended up in. Actually, that's the only tour that we did. Yeah, other than that, we we had a Trello board of things that we wanted to do in the cities we were going to. And then, well, we made plans to meet up with my cousin who lives in Kobe. And we made those plans once we were there. Mm-hmm. And outside of a few fixed things, like being back in Tokyo for a flight home, we largely had that list of things and each day decided what we wanted to do and what we didn't do got pushed to the next day or mm-hmm. later. And the things that we wanted to do, maybe they were conveniently pulled forward a day. So not not a not massively structured planning, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't lend itself well to booking lots of things in advance. Yeah, I think with this trip in particular to Japan, we decided to do most of the travel ourselves and organize ourselves instead of booking tour groups. The beauty about Japan is, especially in the touristy spots, even if you don't speak the language, you can get around pretty quickly and easily. A lot of the signage is in both English and Japanese, and I think people are nice enough that if you ever got really lost, you would be able to get some kind of help. Yeah, I think that's a good point. When I'm traveling... I almost always prefer to do my own thing unless it's not practical. And that means if it would take me much longer to travel there by myself, and I I don't drive, so if there's driving as a requirement, then that rules things out. So I will take organized tours for things like that, like going up to Mount Fuji or when we were in 
the UK going on a day trip that took us to took us to Stonehenge and and other stops along the way it just would have been it was less stressful to get on a bus for the day but for the most part I don't want my whole holiday like that because I like to be able to go and take an extra hour at something even if that means I only see two things in a day mhm i think that's really important for me as well because what you find with those tours depending on how they're structured and what things they try to take you to and how many things they try to take you to you could be spending at the most half an hour at each one of those places and you barely have enough time to take it in before you're shuffled back into the bus again being in a bus for long periods of time is not really what i'd consider fun i think mainly for me it's being able to decide that no i want to stay here for a bit longer or no it's pretty crap here let's move on is is a big part of me wanting to go my own way as opposed to doing a tour well so being able to choose where you have lunch yeah the problem with organized tours is that you're on a bus with 30 plus people actually usually probably 50 to 100 and feeding that many people usually means fairly restricted options and also means that you have to go by a timetable that someone else set whereas you might choose instead to have a small something at us at the at the fancy tourist site and then go to somewhere cheaper and nicer later where you get to have anything you want not just the two or three options yeah and especially with really big tour groups like the one that we took to the grand canyon it was all buffet style in the japanese uh, tour group that we were in it was all structured i think you only had a choice between chicken and not chicken and i think that was partly buffet style as well it was and it makes sense if you're going to try and organize food for 20 30 50 people you're not exactly going to take orders for each one it'll just take forever but it does mean that as a participant your choices are limited and i find that they take you to places that can serve a lot of people but that's not exactly a good measure of how good the food is i really enjoy taking public transport in new places it helps that in in tokyo especially the in the announcements were super clear and the signage was really good so both on and off trains so when you're on a train it would obviously have announcements in japanese but then it would have them in english and the screens would go between english and japanese as well coupled with apple maps and google maps getting around was easier even than getting a taxi and much easier than staying in a confined tour group mhm i i think you hit on a really good point google maps and apple maps and other online resources have really changed how i travel and i think how we travel it means that we're not as reliant on things like tour groups that we can take more public transport because we could be more confident in that we can take these public transport options 
and be able to get to where we want to go with certainty. And if we do take the wrong bus or train, that we can get back on the right track easily enough. And in places where you might not speak the language, that's really helpful because it means that you don't have to rely on external people to help you, especially if you can't communicate your issue with them. I I think Google and Apple Maps have helped tremendously, and it meant that we can be more flexible in where we want to go. The beauty about taking public transport is because the regular people, the locals, use it, you'll encounter more local things instead of just being shuffled from one tourist trap to another. It means that you can experience the locale a bit better and it it could be more authentic if you want to think about it that way. It certainly helped in Japan, I thought. The thing that comes to mind most immediately was the the ramen place that we went to under under Shinjuku Station. Mm-hmm. Although, having said that, that was the night after we came off the off the tour to Fuji. But it was while walking through Shinjuku Station on our way back to the Airbnb that we were staying in. And in a way, public transport is part of the experience. It, it's it's getting a little taste of the the country that way. Okay. That wraps this episode up. Don't forget we have a website, twopats.live. You'll find links to our YouTube endeavors. We have posted some more videos of food tastings, but we've also posted a couple of tech videos on a new channel. You'll find a link to that in the show notes and on the top of the website as well. Uh, We have a feedback form. We'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, find us on Twitter. I'm at the Patrick, And I'm at Limburger2001. And you'll also find links on the website to where you can find us on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Bye.